0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast, and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. But let's begin our message this morning on the releasing your purity. But we first, as usual, want to welcome our online listeners. This is very exciting. Um that we have so many people in different parts of the world that are a part of our series. So we certainly want to welcome you this morning. The message, Releasing Your Purity, needs to be kept in the context of this passage. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Those of you who have downloaded this message, you can go back to heartlandfellowships.org. And you can also download these, these notes, which are in slide presentation uh, format. But here's the scripture. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now those of you who are used to doing keyword studies could you please point out to me the Greek keywords in this passage even though they're in English Wash, sanctified, Washed sanctified justified and spirit And of course all done in the name of Jesus Christ There's authority in a name. There is power in authority. And in power, you have to be anointed. You see, David couldn't even go through his 10-year battle until he was anointed. See, he couldn't survive his baptism of fire unless he was anointed. Unless the oil of gladness has been poured over him. So I want to show you what it really truly means, even though I know, I know, before the Lord God, that I'm only covering some of the minor details of being released in purity, but um, I want to show you some of these details in the simplicity of the Word of God. Before we do that, let's talk about our theme for today, or the attitude of the week. And that is, people with pride rarely take baths, spiritually that is. They seem to sanctify their own works by justifying and protecting their own name. You see, I, I did some, uh, some uh, serious praying this past week about what does that really mean in regard to protecting your own name. And God showed me some stuff in my own life as well as in the principle itself. And that is all human conflict is really based on protecting a name. You know, whether it is, whether it is your name that you're protecting or someone else's name that you're protecting, that's the basis of all conflict is protecting a name. Now, if someone insults you by the name of Jesus Christ, taking the Lord's name in vain, for most Christians anyway that I know of, it arouses a defense in them. Some of you, when you're just watching media clips or reading your Bible or stories or whatever about the persecution and suffering that Christ went through, you weep. That's because it is affecting your protective Nature within you of defending the name of Jesus Christ. His name is being insulted. Assaulted. I have a video coming uh, next week that we are just finishing. It has to be sent off to a couple of my media editors. But I I, I really wept through working on this thing this past week. And it is a very powerful message on the simplicity of what Jane just read about in regard to what we have to go through in bearing our pain and what Christ went through in bearing his pain and what was the real message in him bearing just his pain, embracing just his cross. There's so much about Jesus Christ that is true, but just what does it mean to embrace the cross what was the price tag you had to pay of just embracing the cross holding it like it was a beloved and how many of us really do that people of humility and brokenness embrace being washed with the word sanctified in suffering and justified by the protective name of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit you see most of us when we start the process of being sanctified in our suffering we start pouting you can see pouting on someone's face a mile away can you not you see when God says Consider it all joy my brethren when you endure the term greek endure there is to become one with or to embrace it's to put your arms around that cross and say I will embrace my suffering. I will become one with it. I will enjoy the sufferings. But if it creates a defensive pattern in you, there is a new message for you. You have to be broken. Most of us want to be washed. But I don't know too many indwelt Christians or even the the wannabe Christians who follow Christ. I don't know too many on either side of, of, of Christianity that actually will say, I like to be sanctified in suffering. I would really prefer suffering to stay far from me. So I'll take a pill. I'll exercise to death until illness can't get me. I'll do whatever I have to do to avoid suffering and pain. When God says, it is what I use to sanctify you. Sanctify from the Greek means to purify. For redemption. No, we don't want to do that. But true, humble, and broken people want to do that because they realize it's releasing more purity in them. Five points of purity. Number one, living the Christian life is absolutely possible in and of ourselves. No, it's impossible. You know, there's a verse out there. This is so annoying to me. Sorry, Lord. But there's a verse out there that is used by, by many Christians of, I can do all things in Christ Jesus. No, I can't. I have to keep that verse in the passage in which it is bathed in. You see, I can do all things in Christ Jesus. Well, if I'm functioning in Christ Jesus, I'm only doing the will of Christ Jesus. I can't be a mechanic in Christ Jesus. I can't be a medical doctor in Christ Jesus. I can't I can only be who I am through the one who I am in Christ Jesus. That's it. You are limited to what you can do according to who Christ is in you. But that verse is used like some kind of self-help motivator. They, they make fancy signs and put them on office walls and on home walls. I can do all things through Christ. No, you can't. You have to underline the key words and the through is the key. Not through Steve Finney, not through me convincing myself of something. It is through the life of Christ in me. The doctrines of name it and claim it, stab it and slab it, come from this deception. There are people that take scriptures and use them like aspirin to relieve themselves of pain or not getting their own way. Why? Because they're pouters. People who pout are saying, I am the I am, and I want my way. That's all it is. Pouting in children turns to depression in adults. Depression is the adult version of pouting. That's all it is. Yes, we do have to deal with it. If you want to medicate it or meditate it, however it is you want to deal with it's your business. But I'm telling you what it is. Being overcome by despair and produces pouting is not a healthy thing. It is not. To be overcome by despair is a normal thing. Christ himself was overcome by despair. But he chose not to pout. Pouting reflects the image of the enemy. I'm not getting my way. And that usually requires violence, an accusation. You're going to spread a rumor about somebody very soon. An accusation. That's how it works. These are simple truths that God has given us, but they're very difficult to bear. Number two, God puts the fullness into his children he doesn't say now follow my son and you better he is saying something very simple and that is he is saying something very simple and that is that I've given you the power to live the Christian life by anointing you with the oil of gladness which is the Holy Spirit which is the life of Christ in you. Three, it is God who does all the work in you and through you. Four, your new purity is the pure life of Christ in you. It's nothing in and of yourself. Five, you have been cleansed. Isn't it a great feeling to stand in a shower after you've been working all day long and you have that sweat and then dirt build up on sweat? Of course, those of you who are farmers know that all too well. But to stand under a hot shower, not lukewarm, a hot shower, and have all that washed away, the feeling you get when you come out of that shower is, ah, I've been cleansed. It's the best. That's what he says, you can have 24 hours a day. But you've got to enjoy the shower. What does God see when God looks upon you? What really do you think he sees? Seriously. A sinner saved by grace? A wretched man you are? Shannon, you're such a wretched man. What's he see? Huh? Do you think he sees a, a beloved who is pure? Now if there is one principle that I, I pray that all of us could walk away with today, it is this. God's standing here. Jesus Christ is standing in front of him. The Holy Spirit is standing right behind Jesus. And then behind the Holy Spirit is Steve Finney. Now, here's how this works. I cannot even pray the right words. So I can come up with all the fancy words I want or become very groomed in prayer, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's still not good enough. The Holy Spirit has to utter words that are acceptable unto Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ can bring them before the throne of the Father for that request to be answered. So now, God cannot see sin. Why did Jesus Christ himself say on the cross, Abba, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus was so close to his father, he knew instantly when his father turned away from his own son didn't leave him and forsake him, even though he himself felt God left him and forsook him. That's not what was going on, as we know. (laughs) He was simply turning his face. Why? Because God has never seen sin. Now you may find that really difficult to believe, but there's no scripture that says God sees sin. He sees purity. The reason why that we have a representative to deal with all that sin, so he would literally become a filter of purification and redemption. So that God physically cannot stand before sin. There is no sin that enters into heaven. Why did Satan get removed like a bolt of lightning from heaven? There was not going to be conception of sin in heaven. Bam. You're gone. That spoken just the just the readiness of the sin he's removed. There is no sin in heaven nor will there ever be. Jesus Christ is set up as a mediator, a filter. And you see, we are looked at in the purity of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. As a mediator. He literally became sin. And soon as that moment where Jesus himself became sin. God turned his head. Because God cannot cast his eyes upon sin. Because purity cannot be mixed with sin. And Jesus felt it. He knew instantly when his father turned his his head away from Jesus. So, at that moment when Jesus is on the cross and he becomes sin, that moment all the sin possesses him and he becomes sin for our behalf, you need to understand it's for the pure reason so God can view you pure. It's amazing. The power of the work of the cross is beyond our comprehension. But the simplicity of what God said, what Jesus said, and what the Holy Spirit did was He's he's on that cross and He literally becomes sin and got us to turn His face from His own Son. And then He had to go to death and to the pit of hell to deal with that sin so that we could be seen by God the Father as a pure bride for His Son. Oh, you think you have a bad day? I'd like to see you bear that moment. Because that moment, no one's going to understand besides His His Abba and Jesus. Jesus. What that meant to literally have the face of God turned from you, folks, that is the definition of hell. To have God's face turned from you for eternity. And there are millions of people that are never going to see the face of God because of that. Being pure. Standing pure before God himself is because of Jesus Christ paying the price, bearing the sin, becoming sin, taking that sin to the pit of hell for three days, suffering whatever it is he suffered down there or out there or wherever that dark place is. Coming back from that, Coming out of the grave. And then Jesus Christ saying. This is how my father sees you from this day forward. In the redemptive resurrection power of Jesus Christ. God does not see your sin. The Holy Spirit is a different story. Jesus Christ in you is a different story because that is the responsibility of the groom of a marriage is to bear the sins of that household. That's the job of us men leading our homes. We are responsible for what goes on in that home. Jesus is the head of the church. He is responsible for cleaning up his bride. Washing. Sanctifying in suffering baptism of fire it's powerful it's absolutely life-changing so then you have been justified which means as if you didn't even sin and it says in Acts thirteen thirty-nine, and by him everyone that believeth is justified from all things from which you could be justified by the law of Moses I think this is absolutely the worst of the worst for a true Christian to understand without the Holy Spirit. How can I be justified as if I didn't even sin? How's that even possible? How could God look at me and go you did what? When? You see if God wipes away our transgressions and our sins and behold, I remember not your sins anymore. That's even Old Testament, by the way. When God decides to forgive, He wipes the slate. When you bring up the sin the next day because you still feel guilty, He has no clue what you're talking about. He's not trapped by your guilt, He's not trapped by your self accusations, He's not trapped by the enemy. Performing his greatest name, the accuser. So when God says, I forgive you, he forgives you. Murder, strife, envy, suicide, homicide, reicide, whatever you tried, you're free. Because you've been justified in Christ. You've been washed in Christ. And you're being sanctified in suffering. When God looks upon you, He looks through Jesus first, which is what we were just demonstrating there. So God looks through the life of Christ and then He sees you. So whatever Christ's responsibility is that He's responsible for is the groom, since the groom, the man of the house, is supposed to bear the sin. So when I'm dealing with the husband, and his wife is choosing to sin, I hold him accountable. I do exactly what God did in the garden. Does Eve get some consequences? Of course she does. The soul who sins is the soul who's going to get consequences. But I hold the man responsible. Either he's not on his knees, he's not seeking counsel, he's not getting help, he's not being sanctified by suffering. God always uses the sufferings and the sins of the household to get to the leader of the house. He even said, the head of the house, when he is saved, your whole house will be saved. If that works for salvation, wouldn't it work for sin? If the head of the house sins, your whole house is going to sin? I think so. You see what I mean? When Jesus washes with His blood, He wipes away our sins. Isaiah. This is the passage I was referencing earlier. Isaiah 43:25. I even I am am He that wipes out your sins from My own sake, that I will not remember your sins. What is the key principle being presented here? Whose sake is it? If you think God is wiping away your sins because he wants you to have a good day, you are deceived. God wipes away your sins for his own sake, not ours. Because he must see you in purity. Because his eyes are pure. I don't even think we're going to understand that completely until we get to heaven. Why God had such a huge thing about purity. Why everything was for His sake. Even the forgiveness of our sins, wiping away our sins, was for Him. So you see, we are the ones that have made so much in Christianity about us. And if you want to know why the, the world's going emergent or lukewarm, that's why. Everything's about love, love, love. Me, me, me. Help me, help me. God accepts me, accepts me. God, de- it's deception. That is not the God I serve. The God I serve says it is for my sake and my sake alone. Here's our new inheritance, guys. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says, Give me thanks unto the Father who made us to be partakers of the inheritance. Of the saints in light, who delivered us out of the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's our bullet points. We are in God's God's last will and, and testament. Power of darkness has no hold on us. We are presently in His kingdom as children and we have been redeemed and finally we have been completely forgiven now there's what there's a movement out there called the self-help movement of spiritual warfare and it's name it, claim it, stab it and slab it in the name of Jesus it's my little joke way of saying it. What we're doing is demanding through the name of Jesus Christ that darkness is chased out of a room now here's the simplicity of this principle I will give anyone in this room a million dollars Which I don't have. That's why this is a safe statement. To put darkness inside that light bulb. Kind of silly, isn't it? But that's what self-proclaiming Christians who are demanding that darkness leaves are doing. Some even believe that Christians can have demons. There are millions of Christians that believe that. They're saying darkness dwells in that light bulb with light. I've never known darkness to dwell in a light bulb when it's on. If there's no light on, there is someone home. Darkness is present. Darkness is the absence of light. You turn the lights off in this world and you're going to have the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. When When the body of Christ is scooped up and lifted away, you're taking the light out and it only takes seven years for that darkness to destroy the entire world. Seven years, which is a very short period of time for God. Turn the light on, just the fact that we have indwelt believers, in other words, light bulb believers, in this community, you have peace and harmony to a certain degree. You take the light out of a community, you have a dark community. Because of the light of Christ is not in certain parts of that country. Or in a church, or in a room, or whatever. So instead of rebuking darkness, turn on the light. Because darkness can't be shoved back into a light bulb that is on. The anointing that David had to have ten years before his sanctification of suffering was critical for him to survive the darkness of suffering. Now you put a single light and stand out in the middle street of Sterling on the darkest night all the lights in the streets are out everything is out and you're holding one single light it's not going to do much lighting but you add another another one and 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 another one before you know it you have a city lit up on a hill don't hide your light under a bushel take it to the top of the hill it doesn't say rebuke the bushel Take your light from underneath the bushel and hold it on top of the hill so all can see. Our Savior was literally brought into this world with that principle of having a light shine down upon. One single light shine down upon his birth. It's a principle of science. It's a principle of life. You can name it and claim it and stab it and slab it all you want and the the devil is going to laugh in your face. But you start talking about light chasing away darkness, he will leave. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit to the light and life of Jesus Christ, and the darkness will flee. We have so many self-help techniques in Christianity today that are fruitless. When God said, I made it very simple for you. Salvation is permanent, as I think most of us believe. We have eternal life, life without no beginning or end. There are three deaths that we must experience. Someone please reference for me what they are, for I flag them up. Three deaths. Spiritual death, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith. It's not even my own faith, folks. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself up for me. Two, there's a psychological death coming to the end of ourselves, as Abby said. We must be brought to the end of ourselves. Three, the physical death. So you have to spiritually be made new you have to have your mind renewed and physically if I remember correctly we're given a brand new body there's not darkness I mean light shoved back into this this old body there's not new wine put into this old wineskin for eternity Jesus was the only one that could get that because there wasn't any sin in his mortal body The rest of us have to be given brand new bodies. Brand new light bulb. That is a wonderful truth that should set us free. No one or nothing can take us out of God's hands. Why? Because there is no hand stronger than God's hand. The illustration I've used for many years is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, After hearing the gospel of your salvation, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, that's like a can, and the last I knew, the only one that can break the seal on something is to have that something or somebody create a seal breaker, like a can opener, that breaks the seal. Well, when God put the seal of the Holy Spirit around you and in you and through you, it would take someone bigger than God to create a seal breaker to break that seal first, I mean Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 is the passage that you should be using to understand the security of salvation you are sealed and I am not going to give Satan the credit to think that he can break that seal and you can lose your salvation John ten twenty eight says I give unto them eternal life they shall never perish. Not sometimes. But they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Oh, except the devil, of course. No. Oh, except a denomination that believes you can lose your salvation if you don't perform correctly. Except for a denomination that believes that you can actually sin continuously because God sees your sin. Well, if God could really see your sin, then I might go along with that theology. But God cannot see sin. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's a different story. So when people on that end come up with that kind of theology, they need to go meet Theo. You see, because God's view is different than man's worldview of God, and that's why we come up with so many books to study on theology. So many books. That's why the study of books is endless. And the devotion to books is weariness to your body. God designed us that whatever you're reading, you want to obey. So you should never read just to, to research the enemy. I mean, I had someone say that, that to me recently that they, that they read the, the whole series of, what's that, Harry Potter. That reading the book Harry Potter to their children, is giving them to the discernment what to watch out for. It'd be like me studying the satanic Bible so I knew. N- not good theology. You should, you should do the same thing they do in science. Is the way you train a banker to catch a counterfeit is not to study the counterfeit, but to what? Study, study the master. It is a principle God gave us to preserve us. You should not cast your eyes upon evil to understand it. That is an evil, demonic doctrine. If you've done it, you need to repent of it and remove those materials from your possession. God wants us to preserve our minds, our eyes in purity. To have the purity released in us, we must fix our eyes upon him. We must fix our eyes upon heavenly things. We must fix our affections on him. Not to learn about darkness to understand light. Bad theology. Knowing our identity. What does it mean to have identity? Some of you have been listening to me for a while. You know I have this illustration of a Coke can. I did actually mean to bring one. But if I take this perfect Coke can and, you know, drink it or not drink it, if I start squeezing it, creating a dent in it, am I creating more space for fluid or less space? Less space. And then if I take an object of affliction, this is the accuser of the brethren, you idiot, stupid, you're never going to mount to anything. And I just start hitting it with all this accuser of the brethren thing. Year after year, after year, what's going to happen to the can? It's going to reduce the capacity to hold living water. But you know, God is so gracious, He will pour His Holy Spirit in that damaged, dented can, and it may not be able to experience the fullness of the of fluid, the living water, but they're saved. And what God wants to do is a process until he gives you your brand new body he wants to work in you through you and pop out those bad identity statements and the more he does that day after day you're not stupid I don't see stupid I don't see not gonna make it I don't see this I see the fullness of my grace in you you have it all all already And you start believing that more and more and more and more and more. It's called the process of sanctification. God's instrument of popping out old idents is the Holy Spirit. And is it pleasant? No, it isn't. To have the Holy Spirit say to me, That's a lie, Stephen, is not pleasant to me. I will tell you the truth. It's the truth that pops out these, uh, these dents. So identity is really the result of crushed by statements of mankind. The church now on the other end is literally forming God's view for the people. Oh, God loves you no matter what. God, Well, why does God send people to hell? You say, it's not God who sends us. We send ourselves. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Judgment Day. God is very clear about this message. But we want to give people this tickling, this nice gospel, so we don't offend their theology. It's backwards. You see what I'm saying? Because we're responding to this crushed person, we don't want to hurt their feelings. What, so they can stay crushed the rest of their life and listen to lies? He who has been crushed is he who does the crushing. Please don't forget that, unless you get set free. Whenever or whatever you were before you became a Christian, you are no longer that light bulb. You're not. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, and man means woman too, because woman comes from man, and that's why God doesn't split it off for for gender-friendly purposes. So any man, meaning woman too, who is in Christ is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Once saved, you have a new identity assigned to you by God. Therefore, if anyone is uh, any of you are in Christ you have a new identity your old identity has passed away. behold you have a new identity. New wine skin and, and old, new wine and old skins it says in mark tw- uh, 2 verse 22And no man puts new wine into old wine skins else the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost. And the skins as well. But one who puts new wine into fresh wine skins. This is where the uh, prophecies of the end times meet the present day of what Jesus is saying. He is introducing to the people that he is this new wine. When you drink from this cup, you are drinking of me. But see, there's a very short time period where we actually are going to be given brand new wine skins. A new body. That's why I am a believer that believes that we are given a new body, and we're not. Our old one is not redeemed. We have a brand new wineskin waiting for us, a glorified body. Then, when the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in His life shines through us, there will be no dents in that can. You'll be full-on Bride of Christ like you've never experienced before. Finally, the new identity cannot be placed in the old nature. God will put a new identity in the old nature, else the new identity is lost in the vessel as well, but God puts a new identity into a fresh creature. That's the principle of what I just shared with you. Okay, next slide. We have Knowing the uh, Changes is uh, you went from being guilty to being guilt free Romans 8 2 tells us for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death and the way you can actually say that is the law of the spirit of life which is you are forgiven and I remember not your sin anymore justification versus the law of sin and death which is I'm gonna remind you that you're guilty God is saying, "You are no longer to live like that, but you are to live by the grace and light and life of my Son. New life. You went from being condemned to being adopted into God's family, and that's Romans 8:15. "For ye or you have received not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, "Abba Father." That's what Jesus called his father, remember? Those are very critical terms that are used there. They're both Hebrew. When Jesus spoke out, uh, number one, he would not speak in Greek. There's a sermon just on that one, but that's another day. He spoke in Hebrew, he spoke in a very original language to his father. And Abba Father means Abba Dada. It is the earliest form of expression of a child to his daddy. It's where we get the term daddy or dada. It's intimacy. Father, on the other hand, is authority. It's first place. It's the ox that we've been learning in Hebrew. The one who heads the house, heads the tribe, heads the dominion, heads the universe. It is a respectful position of you are God. You are my father. You are the one. You are the I am. Yes, Jesus himself had that kind of respect for his father. But he had an intimate relationship with his father. Tata. An emotional relationship. He was very close to his Abba. So you have the double side of a real father. Abba. And Father, if you're lacking in one, you lose. That's the facts, whether it's your earthly father, spiritual father, or heavenly father. If you think you're big on Father and you're not good on Abba, you're going to have a tilted relationship with God. If you're all about Abba, Abba, you're going to want to be spoiled and you'll pout if you don't feel like you're getting your own way with the Father. They go together. And Jesus obviously understood that. You went from being a, a children of wrath to partakers of divine nature, which is what it shows us in Ephesians 2 3. Among whom we also all once lived in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, which is where we get the term spanking, or discipline, or the rod. Keep in mind all these principles still work and are in play with unbelievers. You get spanked, you're judged, you're guilty, you're under transgressions, you are sin. You are sin. You don't sin, you are sin. It's in every cell of your body. You need to be saved to be removed from that old and placed into the new then those labels don't apply to you anymore. You lose sight of that, you're going to lose sight of leading people to Christ. And you'll become emergent in your approach, making them feel good for Jesus' sake. I don't know where that really leads people to Christ. Being kind and teaching them this is a different story. Divine nature, you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. You went from being rejected to being sealed in Christ Jesus. That's the Ephesians 1.13 passage I shared with you earlier. And then you went from being bound to the enemy to being positioned at the right hand of the Most High. Now, if you have a bad day, we all do, or a bad moment, I cannot think of anything more refreshing and glorious then to close my eyes and take my eyes fixed off of my office, my family, my my uh, whatever my experience is that's in my earthly world is to take my eyes off of that and say, "Oh God, dear Jesus, show me through the eyes of the spirit that dwells within me where I am seated." And I have strong, strong pictures in my mind of being seated at the right hand of God. For some reason, all this earthly stuff just doesn't seem to matter anymore. To know that I'm already seated at the right hand of God, positionally, conditionally I'm not, positionally I'm already seated at the right hand of God. And why does he say, set your affections on things above not on things of the earth that would be what I call a a duh you see we get so caught up in what we see that it stops us from who he sees how he sees if God is here and it says in Colossians 3 that Jesus is hidden in God we are hidden in Jesus Jesus is put in us and we are all folded up into God. I'd like to see some darkness get inside that light bulb. Show me that miracle. Satan can't get at us. And we've been duped to think he can. Can we submit to his temptations? Of course we can. Can we follow him for a while as believers? Of course we can. But he can't get inside where the life and light of Christ is. No man can serve two masters. You think he's going to share his holy place in my life with Satan? And that annoys me too how people use Satan's name like he's omnipresent. He hasn't left the Middle East since the garden, folks. His demons have. He has really twisted our theology to give him a lot of credit that he does not deserve. We became the righteousness of Christ in himself, second Corinthians 5:21. Sanctification, which is purification, is the process of helping us embrace our justification just as if we didn't sin. Redemption is the purchase uh, Redemption is the purchase to, it should be, to purchase back something that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. And then finally, how can we, now we can relax in the glory, really, that God says we are able to partake in because of the fact we've been redeemed. To share in His glory, His holiness. It's not because of us. It's simply because of Christ, because we're in Christ and we're seated at the right hand of Christ, of God, because He is. How is all this possible? Well, we've been crucified with Christ. That's our Galatians two twenty passage. We've been buried with Christ. That's our Romans six four passage. We are not only crucified with Him, but we were buried in the likeness of His death. We are in the likeness of His resurrection. He came out of that tomb, and if you think that uh, you have to suffer over and over the things of the tomb, then you're not, at least conditionally, processing resurrection life. People who live in the tomb are powders, they're depressed, they're easily affected by stuff around them because it's tomb living. It's just, can you imagine sitting in that tomb? The stone's rolled and it's dark in there. And you know, you're just just so caught up in the darkness that you're forgetting about the light. That you are. See, Christ didn't buy into that deception. I can assure you, when he walked out of the pit of hell, the lower parts is what it's called there, because hell doesn't actually come until after judgment. But when he came out of those lower parts... And re entered that tomb, I can assure you, didn't stick around for four hours. He that stone rolled away, and he came out of that darkness as light. And I can but imagine the radiant, glorious light, the Shekinah glory that shined out of that tomb as he was walking out. And that light could not be contained in that tomb. And he comes out and immediately wants to go to every city that he ever preached in over the next forty days to show them the Shekinah light. I am the light. Darkness does not bind me. But yet we stay in the tomb and we gotta pout a while. I don't know about you guys, I love being depressed. I I do. My flesh loves it. I like to feel sorry for myself and see if someone else is going to feel sorry for me. And somehow, if they feel sorry for me, it's going to make me feel better. And the truth is, it makes us sick. Quit pouting. And I give that message to myself. Walk out of that tomb. When the enemy walks us back into the tomb, I don't know if you've ever been in a tomb, I have. You can feel death in tombs, there's darkness. At cemeteries, There's darkness in those places. There is, there's nothing there. You can get on your knees and talk to grandma if you want, but she's not there. It's okay to be respectful and leave some flowers. I'm not being too radical here. I'm just simply saying there's no life and light in the tomb. He came out of that to say, let the dead bury the dead. I'm offering you life and light from this day forward. And of course, Romans 6-7, we are now freed from sin. That's every kind of sin. Closing with this, the principles of this truth and justice could, as certainly be stated, that without Christ's redemptive act, the guilt and punishment that is passed down as an inheritance from our forefathers would send us to the place of torment. No matter what country you're in, if you don't understand what I'm about to say, get to your pastor, get to a pastor, get to a missionary. You've got to find the understanding to what I'm about to say. You go to hell because of your fathers. You go to heaven because of your father. And as simple as that sounds and over simple as that sounds, that is the truth people go to hell because they follow the wrong father sin is passed down by the father's all the way back to Adam and there's only one way to get out of that trap that inheritance is to get a brand new inheritance to get a a brand new life a brand new you gotta be adopted into a different family and that adoption by what I read in the word, from in spirit and in visual truth, and that is through Jesus Christ. He literally takes me as a piece of skin, and he takes that piece of skin, and he comes over, and God the Father, Abba, Dada, grafts me onto his Son's body, that is holy, blameless, chosen, redeemed, alive, pure, light, life. And he is working day out and day in to make that graft adhere to the flesh of Jesus Christ. That I could literally become a part of the life and body of Jesus Christ. That is following a new father. So Satan coming along and and causing you to accuse your fathers and have resentment toward your fathers, you will never process the ultimate message of truth, and that is there will come a day when he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and children to their fathers, lest I come and smite your tribe. Reconcile it. But Father, I want to pray right now through Jesus' holy name. And Jesus, as you refer to your father as Abba, Dada, I pray that intimacy, Father God, into the body of Christ. And as you also refer to your Father as the one who is in first place, the great ox, the strong leader of a household, I pray that that attitude is bred back into the body of Christ. That all of us would be able to call you Abba, Father. So through Jesus and His proclaimed redemptive blood, I affirm that I have been released in my purity and set free from the impurities of my wicked past. I stand firm on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a full sufficient release from my forefathers actions of rebellion that came against you, Father. I claim the redemptive act of you, Jesus Christ. I state before you that there is no obstacle to my salvation or my personal freedom. And I might by repentance be consistently pardoned, and I look forward to when I will be taken to heaven. But as for today, Lord, I choose to enjoy my personal freedom through Christ Jesus here on earth. It is in the power and authority of Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ, without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org We thank you for joining us. Forget yourself and a fine, lose a shirt off your back. And be the floor, need a couch, need a bus fair.